0: Hello, all stars. Welcome to the next episode of NOL Season 2. And today we have with us uh, Ms. Meredith Ritchie. uh, And uh, we're so happy to have you here because uh, the second season since the start has been a season of international contacts, international authors. And we have been blessed to, you know, find uh, connects from all over the world for you, the aspiring authors, to get more knowledge and to get a wider perspective of writing and creativity. I would request Ms. JMB to, you know, give a formal bio of Miss Meredith.
1: Meredith Ritchie has had made a career in uh, business communications, and uh, you know, wrote her first novel as a cure for acute empty nest syndrome. She says, and she lives in Charlotte with her husband and two cats. Who encourage her curiosity of the forgotten triumphs of the spirit, especially those uh, in their own backyard. Uh, that's how, what she describes, and and I thought that was an interesting and unique uh, introduction, and very happy to uh, invite you, Meredith Ritchie, uh, to LOL. And uh, interestingly, we have an, another historical fiction writer, and. Um, we are going to have a fantastic, memorable time talking to you. Um, uh, welcome. So,
0: uh, Danya, maybe you want to start? Yeah, um, Mr. Archie, we wanted to know about how we go about researching for the historical tradition because there might be uh, times when we have to research from uh, you know the history books or go online and research but sometimes like all of us know history is still fiction it depends the person who wrote it how do you you know go about and find out if the historic, historical uh, research they are doing is authentic or how many sources do you usually look into before you finalize on this is right this is this is the most authentic source
2: um yes yeah, so you know you first come up with with an idea you know and and, and find the the correct and my idea was I wanted to write a women's empowerment novel, historical fiction novel. So I, I found the, the time setting I wanted, um, and I chose the uh, 1940s um, because that was World War II, and I wanted you know all men to be gone, and I wanted the women to be there, um, you know, in in the, a business setting, or or, the, or to be the majority in a business setting, and to see how that played out. Um, I chose my own city because I I just happened to come across this enormous plant uh, that was in existence here for uh, three years. And I'd never heard of it. I was, I was born here. I'd lived here for, you know, most of my life and uh, I had never heard of it. People I, I asked about it, had never heard of it. So it seemed like there was this really uh period of, of time where this, this, this plant was something everyone talked about, everyone knew about. And then the war ended and, and it just disappeared. Uh, and it literally disappeared. It's not even you know, there any longer. So, um, so I really dug into the existence of something that is no longer in existence. And so I had to go back to uh, newspapers uh, library. February. Uh, I actually went to D.C., Washington, D.C., um, and and got a researcher card from the National hey. Archives, which was really mm-hmm. fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so dug into uh, there wasn't a, a lot on this plant. So this plant was one of uh, thousands across the country. The, the The U.S. really put a lot of money, time, and effort into building uh, these in a lot of different cities. So we weren't unusual in that. It was just unusual in its size and its and its. Um, it's safety ratings that it got. So I really started looking at the the setting first after I picked the time and I picked the topic and what have you. And then I started going, when I went back to Charlotte, I tried to find people who maybe would have worked there. And it was unfortunately so long ago that uh, I couldn't find anybody that had worked there, but I did find uh, people whose mothers had worked there or fathers had worked there. And uh, so I interviewed them uh, and that really helped and then i went to local historians and then uh once i started writing it really the 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 fact check part of it happens throughout because uh you know with the beta reader process and mm. the editing process you know people are constantly looking things up and going oh, i don't know if that would happen let's let's find other sources around that time to say would they talk like that would they would they react like that you know so that really was happening throughout the whole four years that I wrote it.
1: So well, the characters come first or the plot comes first uh, in your works. And how do you develop the characters uh, we want to know. Yeah. There are so many aspiring you know authors out there who will be very interested in writing such mm-hmm. historical works. So, could you please share with us uh, all the characters?
2: For me, the, the characters uh, came definitely came first. So, okay. uh, uh, it may be a little bit of both. I and mean, I might have written, you know, a couple of intro chapters. I, I applied to get into something that's called Authors Lab uh, here locally for, with a nonprofit, and they. Um, you know, they really encouraged us to do character interviews. And I would encourage any aspiring writer to do that uh, <laughs> either, if not in the first part of your writing, maybe before you write it, because you really want to know, like, what are these characters' ticks? You know, do they put their, uh, you know, hair behind their ears all the time? Or, or are they constantly, you know, adjusting their glasses? I mean, that's what really makes them uh, have this humanity to them. And also kind of a, uh, when you, introduce, I wouldn't say this, that my novel has a lot of characters, um, but it has maybe little, slightly more than average, you know, and there's some uh, other authors that were in my program that they had so many characters, it was just hard for the reader to keep track of them. So sometimes those little uh, mannerisms do help, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of monitor and Mm -hmm. help, help the reader track with, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's hard sometimes to keep track of, of -hmm. multiple names. And Mm -hmm. uh, so those were things. I remember one of the, the really fun questions was, um, what does your character have in their purse, you know, or their pocketbook right now? So, you know, <laughs> what, what do they always carry? And so really those, you know, digging deep questions on like, well, gosh, what would this person carry? You know, it really made you think extra about that character and what and how they would you know go about their day and then you could write that in mm-hmm. or even if you didn't write it in you you know the, the it helped the author to know that about who they were representing on mm-hmm. the pages mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so okay
0: mm-hmm. uh like like it's written on your website like it's, uh, like there's a line from the protagonist that says that the author tells her stories to the characters right so what in you triggered that you know like did you have like a you know, uh, an underlying, uh, you know, um, what to say, like a, like a past or a, or a happening experience which triggered this emotion in you to know about what the, uh, what women empowerment meant mm-hmm. during those times or was there a, like a personal or a professional thing that
2: you went through that triggered this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, so uh, in 2017, I had a, a job change and, and I really um, wanted to, it gave me some time to kind of explore, you know, well, how, how do women lead? And and I really, I I couldn't answer that question because a lot of the the women that I had known that, um, that I had reported to, you know, in my career up to that point, uh, sort of led like men. And I thought, well, that's kind of silly because we're not. And, um, so I wanted to kind of explore that. And then that was my initial, uh, hope you know was to do that and I think I did <clears throat> but then it was getting into it was kind of the dawn of the me too movement and and then I, mm-hmm. I really kind of dove into that topic and learned some things about myself that I didn't know about okay. and so it was like I think you know re- a reader could really benefit from you know knowing that so I had some of the characters go through you know those experiences I mean not maybe not directly but some of the the backstory was definitely mm-hmm. represented uh, there from the me too movement. So, mm-hmm. so anything that I would learn about myself, I would kind of put into, uh, in, into the book, you know, so those were the kind of things where <clears throat> through the writing process, things morph a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, and then black lives matter uh, really came to the forefront with George Floyd here in, um, in the U S and uh, the murder of George Floyd. And <clears throat> that uh, became my own awakening for how I was both the oppressed and the oppressor. And so that was, uh, I put that in, into the book because I thought that was, it was an important lesson for me and, and potentially, you know, the reader might, might feel the same. So that's really when, um, the character of Cora, who is, um, is a black woman. And, and also working at the plant, um, she really became, uh, and she was always going to be a character I and mean, she was always there. She was one of my character interviews, you know, from the, the, the very early start. Um, but she really, started speaking to me. Interesting.
0: So, how
1: do you fictionalize? Uh, Where do you draw the line? And where are the places that you look for fictioning, you know, fictionalizing? And um, do you only set your novel into that period? Or are you always uh, doing uh, two threads uh, covering also the contemporary uh how do you
2: uh do your novel um i would like to explore that um and maybe for my next novel i would love to explore that because i as a reader i really love that and i started out as a fan of historical fiction before i ever you know became a writer of historical fiction um but because of that you know i was always i I had a, a career in business communications i was a really good business writer. Um, but I had to learn how to write fiction. I have a tremendous respect for anyone who does the creative writing process because it is very different than business writing. It is very intentional words where business is, you know, the most number of words wins kind of thing. Um, so that I, I really had to learn. And I, so I had to narrow down what, what I had to learn. And so I, I did sort of simplify it. Like this is going to be a chronological novel written in third person close. And, uh, and, 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 you know, because the point of view um, process, just deciding on which point of view you're writing in is a very daunting <laughs> process to a new writer as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I really picked the easiest one to write. And it's what mm-hmm. I kind of because it's kind of like watching a movie with your characters playing mm-hmm. out when, when you're mm-hmm. writing it. Mm-hmm. So that that fit well with how my brain works anyway. So I did that. But I would like to at some point um, write in two different time frames and then show you know, maybe, maybe even showing, because I think that history is constantly repeats itself. And so yes. I think it's, it's interesting to see that happen and, and lay that out for the reader and to know that, you know, everything that happened in the past wasn't always rosy and, and everything that's happening today isn't always, you know, doom and gloom. So uh, I think there's, there's um, uh, kind of a yin and yang and a thing that we can learn about, the past, but also about our present.
1: You just said um, it's like watching a movie. Are you planning to take your work uh, for screen? Have you tried? Oh, I would love it. <laughs> <laughs> do, do
2: you know anybody who <laughs> call me beardersity <laughs> yeah. uh, it's I, I would love that. I mean, I, I've had several people say that you know to uh-huh. me, um, but you know, I, I went with a small press, you know, to to publish it um it's had really good you know local success it's growing the numbers are, are getting good but i think i'm gonna have to have uh you know a little more growth to get maybe um, the attention of, of somebody great. to do that but i would, I so would when, love it when was that published uh maybe? oh just uh in january
0: okay mm. yes. best wishes <laughs> oh, uh. <laughs> And uh, because your book is written from two points of views, like uh, two points of view, like one from uh, Maggie Swans and the other from right, Wright, which mm-hmm. is one from a must be like I I, I think one is uh, Miss Maggie must be a white woman, and the other other one is an African American. Mm-hmm. So usually, what happens is it's the same. You, you are it's basically the same thing that both of them are looking, but having different reactions and emotions towards it. How does ethnicity play a role in that difference of, you know, points of
2: view, do you think? Uh, yes, it made every uh, difference. Uh, and it's funny. So I actually had them meeting in a library. So they're both bibliophiles. They both love books. They love to read books. They love to talk about books. Uh, Maggie is, is new to town when she comes here. So she's actually uh, was born and raised in Boston. And uh, she met her husband there. He was in the army, and and they decided to settle in Boston. had had um, a family there, and then he moves her to Charlotte before, right before he reenlists uh, after the, the war. His, after the U.S. entered the World War II. So, uh, so she doesn't really know anybody in town, and and they meet at the library. They connect over books, uh, and you know she she hates you know all the bridge games that women play in, 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 that, that, that time, you know, she was getting invited to those. She, she wanted to read books and talk about books with somebody. And so the woman that she met um, that was willing to do that with her was, was Cora. And so they formed a, um, a relationship. And so they'd read the same book. And I think that's so interesting and applies so much today. You read the same thing and you can see two different things. So you always carry your experience with you. And then you get to uh, but then if you talk about that, if you share your different views, you know, especially if they're if they're in conflict with one another, then uh, you get to you know both learn something new that you didn't know before. Uh, And so they do that uh, for almost a year. Um, They do that. And then uh, and and then they start to work together. So they form a friendship uh, around books and they do have some of those hard conversations. But then, um, after they come to work together, even more difficult things get thrown their way, and, uh, and they really have to navigate those waters. In the fact that they have two different lenses, um, you know, when they encounter those challenges, mm-hmm. so I don't want to give too much away, but yes. Mm. Okay, so uh, and
0: this is one thing about historical fiction that you just you you. The difference between that and contemporary fiction is that you have to master the the accent, the lifestyle, mm-hmm. everything. You have to go back in time and master that for you to even, you know, put your mind to it. Mm-hmm. But uh, like, because you've lived in Charlotte for a long time and you know the city, after you've researched and you've known a little bit of, about the history of the city, did the city look different to you at all? Like, did you see like different landmarks and think, oh, this is, this is something, you know? This is, yeah. the, this is an epitome of that. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm so happy I knew about it. Did, did, did the city,
2: uh, you know, present
0: itself a different light to you after you knew the city, uh, history of
2: the city? A- absolutely, yes, 100%. And um, so I had a uh, an old map that I found from 1942. And it was mm-hmm. when uh, the population of Charlotte just, you know, it was, I mean, most towns in North Carolina were still small towns, right? So it was still more, Uh, rural than it was urban and so but uh, because of World War I and World War II you know more people in these defense jobs that came in it brought more people from the rural setting into the urban setting so in 1942 the city had just gone over six digits so it just had like 102,000 people in it Mm -hmm. and the plant employed 10,000 people so that was a big deal Um, and so I have this very small map I mean, it's not small, but it was just, it's just, we look at it compared to what Charlotte is now, we have over a million people. Um, then they, you know, just knowing where things were in the city, you know, the the footprint of the city. So that map would help orient me to where I was. And then, um, you know, I guess the, knowing the the time period and like what happened in the city at that time, I kind of fell in love with a, uh, a neighborhood that no longer exists uh, mm-hmm. called Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's where Cora is is from. Uh, mm-hmm. She lives in in the former Brooklyn, uh, and really, it was a, a thriving um, Black neighborhood uh, here that, um, you know, just was a wonderful community. They had fourteen hundred homes and two hundred fifty businesses, and I had no idea it was that big. And so once I started really looking. I knew I, I kind of knew I wanted Core to be from Brooklyn. But then when I went in and did the research, I was like, wow, this is completely different than what um, just from passing. Like I'd never really researched it prior, but my assumptions uh, about Brooklyn were, were very incorrect. So I had to correct that uh, in my own self and then, you know, and then represent that community as the thriving community that it was. And so and then watching Maggie, you know, look at it for the first time because she, uh, she would, Maggie had a car, Cora did not. And so she would go and pick her up there uh, occasionally and, uh, and, and feel like kind of a fish out of water. But it was it was interesting. So and that that neighborhood is no longer here. It was uh, torn down in the 70s through urban renewal. So that was sad. What's the time frame of your novel? Oh, uh, 1943 is when it opens, summer of 1943. And then uh, it pretty much closes on the third anniversary of Pearl Harbor, which would have been December of 1944. So really just about a year and a half. And But there is an epilogue that goes into October of
1: 1945. Okay. Uh, Meredith, how many pages uh, in print form?
2: It is about three hundred and forty-four pages, I think. There mm. it is. <laughs>
0: yeah, That's a big yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and because it has a different defense background, like though war is not in the forefront, it still has like it will still have mentions of the Second World War, mm-hmm. and because you said, you you talk a lot about this this. Company or industry, you would have had to research a little bit about the labor laws of that time, the mm-hmm. industrial regulations of that time, and the waste that that particular industry was giving out, and the effect it had on the community, and also a little bit about the you know equipment that were used in those wards and what effect that had on the people. So, how did this research? I mean, the other, like you said, because you had done the research for character development, to so people through analyzing people. But this, you you should have had to go have gone through, like 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 some book. Some books might tell you about this, but how did you get into that? You know, that laws and how what, how did that research go about?
2: Yeah, there, unfortunately, there weren't so many pictures of the the actual facility that they worked in. Um, But I did talk to several historians who knew what they did, knew maybe how they did it. Um, There was a, you know, a a big push for workers. It was called, you know, everything had a poster. That's why it's called Poster Girls, right? There's a poster for everything. Um, And and a lot of the little sayings rhymed, you know. So there was a one called Loose Lips Sink Ships. And so... They, they, didn't, they weren't supposed to talk about what they did, you know, outside of that, because you didn't know who was a spy and you just didn't know what you didn't know. And so they really um, pushed that on people like we don't talk about. It. I think that was how it got to be forgotten because they were so used to not talking about it. And once the war ended, they were just happy to go back. Well, somewhat happy, you know, to go back to the way it was. They were happy the war was over, put it that way. Um, so yeah, so I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I did have to do a lot of digging into what they were building and maybe how they were building it. And some of that I did have to piece together because it wasn't, I mean, there were some newspaper articles on it and I certainly went from those. Um, but they had two, they built 250 buildings. So it was on 2,200 acres, which is a very large Footprint for a plant, um, and they had over 250 buildings. And I wondered why they built so many buildings. I mean, why not build, you know, a larger, you know, one one big one? And it was because uh, they assembled the shells there. So it was about uh, I don't know in meters. I don't know what this is, but about 18 inches long. So it was it was long, uh, at least as long as my arm, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> is, is the the ammunition they did, and it was about 40 millimeters wide. Um, and they, they were shot off of Navy ships and, uh, and, and a lot of times they were shot to, to shoot down planes that were coming in maybe to, to harm those ships. <clears throat> and so, um, they didn't actually make anything there. They just assembled them. But what they assembled, what they did was they filled these shells with, uh, with gunpowder. So it was very dangerous what they did. And that's why they built so many separate buildings because, because if one building caught fire then they could contain it better if they were separate buildings so uh which is really a scary thing right yeah. <laughs> it's not my building that catches fire and i'm sacrificing you know, for the, to save everybody else but, uh so i really kind of called into that knowing that what they did was was quite dangerous and and, we were, and to be uh, to be working there is
1: mm-hmm. uh, it's a nightmare <laughs> i
2: think yeah yeah i mean i think it, i don't think it was it was bad working conditions or whatever, but just the the constant focus on safety and 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 the reason you had to focus so hard on safety is because yeah yeah this this could catch fire at any point. We are surrounded by gunpowder. Yeah, like you yeah, know, uh, I being think being in like, the
1: warfront
0: maybe. Yes, <laughs> it's not <laughs> right now. Even today, this this is like uh, you know. Uh, uh, usually, uh, historical fiction meant wars or uh, you know territories or kingdoms and stuff and right now the focus has finally shifted onto the people who are left behind like the women and the children like uh, none of us even like no books even uh, or any authors or writers even uh, you know thought in that perspective but right now at this at, at this juncture and with ukraine and russia going to war it's become more obvious that the pains of the people in the war. It's it's not any different from the pains of people at home. So there's no difference. Between, all of them have anxiety. All of them don't know when they're going to be killed. No one, no one's life is for sure. At least the person in the war knows that there is a bullet coming towards the empire. a person at home doesn't even know that. They don't know. All their pains so are still not you know for sure. So um. Were there, uh, you know, projections of that your novel that you have uh, to write about the, that anxiety or the fear of people at
2: home? Mm-hmm. Yes. And and I think you're you're spot on in terms of there's no, most of the World War II fiction, historical fiction that I read was based in Europe. When where they were going through very different challenges, there were bombs that were hit. You're walking down the street, didn't know if you would be, you know, a, a, a bomb would, would come out. Um, You know, bomb shelters. We didn't really have those. Uh, We didn't have that threat, but it was it was the not knowing um, and it was the absence of, um, you know, because because Hawaii had been bombed by the Japanese and and we didn't think that could happen because we didn't think, you know, because it was the plane airplane technology or the flying technology uh, was just on the cusp of, you know, for distance Flying, and so you know we didn't know. I mean, the 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 Germans are wonderful engineers, and they could have made something that could fly, you know, across the Atlantic and and hit uh, the East Coast. So you know, we had blackout curtains every night, um, the light in, so you weren't allowed to, you know, there there were all these protocols that were supposed to make you feel safe. But they also were very scary, you know, like what? So you, you couldn't put your headlights on in your car uh, after a certain uh, time. And it was because they didn't if there was a bomber that came, they didn't want them to be able to to see, you know, at night and, and to see where the cities were. So, you know, quite frightening. And I imagine quite yeah, frightening children. When I was when yeah, the people I talked to at the time were just yeah. like the unknowns were were even worse um, than, than the knowns. So exactly what you, what you said three. So that, um, I wanted to focus on that. And, and of course, Maggie, you know, she's married to a man who thought that this war would be over uh, a lot sooner than it was. And, you know, had, had this whole, you know, 18 month plan They and, and America really did think, which not much of a surprise that it would come in there and, you know, two years tops, we're in and out, we're good. And, uh, that did not take place. Uh, and so they were adjusting to that. And, um, and the challenge as an author was I had to make uh, Charlie come to life and he wasn't there. So I had to, to put in a lot of memories of Charlie, who is Maggie's uh, husband, uh, into the novel in order to be uh, present at all. I mean, there's sort of a love triangle that, that, that exists Um and, uh, one of my early editors said, yeah, you've got a love triangle with, uh, one of them is a cardboard cutout. <laughs> like you really need to, to deepen, you know, who he is, even though I had interviewed him and I had asked him, you know, some you know, the character, uh, and I asked him some really you know, deep questions, but, uh, you know, it was, it was difficult. So, so I had to, um, I had to go back there and add in, um, memories and and things about charlie so that the reader would you know kind of be rooting for him as well so
1: i'm interested in knowing more about this uh, character interview you just said i spoke to him and uh, and you corrected yourself the character you yeah. see? so okay. i really am interested in knowing uh, more on that um,
2: um please what do you do in this character interview Oh uh, yes. Uh, besides like what's in your purse and what, uh, so, um, yeah, you really try to get into their emotions. Like, you know, describe mm-hmm. a time when you were really afraid, mm-hmm. uh, describe a time when you were, when you had a sense of pride, you know, that like an accomplishment, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, you sort of, there were times when I would go back to those interviews, especially when I was getting to a, like I said, I, I wrote chronologically, but there were some scenes, um, and that I had to kind of push through, or that weren't coming right away, and so I, I did kind of skip over those, and so I wrote kind of around those. And uh, and when I would get stuck, and I would often, uh, I would go back to some of those character interviews, and I would almost oh. forget what I put down there, and I'm oh that's right, okay, so I'm going to put that in there, and uh, and sometimes it would become a scene even so or memory.
1: Okay. Hmm.
2: yeah so those are valuable very valuable
1: hmm. since you've talked with your do- characters do you come as Meredith in your novel it's somewhere
2: in the same name or as a character as a, an interviewer um, hmm. yes yeah so yeah some of my own experiences are in there um, mm-hmm. and it's uh, I probably <laughs> relate the most um, to Maggie um, and and Billy, who's another one of the the white characters, um, just in my you know understanding of the world and uh, and and what th- they have learned, what they learn in the book, and then what I have learned as well. So that that does come through some.
0: Interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, when it comes to historical fiction, we have this limitation of uh, you know um, because you cannot fudge the facts; you have to keep them. You I know, have to keep the facts straight. Mm-hmm. You, sometimes your creative freedom is, you know, curtailed by that. Now the facts will stop you from creating anything, like a little bit more than what is necessary, or it'll you 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 cannot let your mind run wild like you can for a contemporary fiction. Mm-hmm. You think that aids in the writing, or do you think it's actually a limitation for a historical fiction writer?
2: Um, I felt like it was, and again, this was a new process that I was taking on. Right. So for me, it, it kind of was a, it was a sense of security. Like I, I had my parameters. I couldn't go beyond that. And so all I had to do was add in the emotion, which I think is what, is what makes historical fiction come alive for me because, you know, I, I was a, a business major, I liked math, you know, I like numbers. Uh so I um I never liked history books very much. You know, all apologies to any historians out there, but but just the 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 content, the way they had to write was just too dry. It didn't tell the the story um behind it. So like uh, to give you an example, oh, there's a quote that says if if history was told in the form of story uh, we would never forget it. So absolutely yeah. absolutely. And, and history, history books have to take out the story part. They have to take out the emotion part. They have to take out the, the names and the people that we can all relate to because we are named people with emotions. So that's why I love historical fiction is because it adds that back in. Um, but it does it in a certain uh, time frame and, and setting. And I've actually found that kind of comforting, not limiting. Hmm. Hmm.
0: How did social media help in promoting your book? Or did social media help? Because right now, uh, with the pandemic and all, all our communication, everything, every promotion effort ever that's been happening in the past three years has been entirely through social media. So, how did that help in promoting your book?
2: Um, you know, I think the the model that I have and my my publisher and I have have decided to go to is. Sort of a you know like a ripple effect. So because it is you know a, a local story, although I think you know the fact that it's a U.S.-based story that it, it will do well um, internationally. Because I think internationally, people are curious about our crazy country and and what <laughs> what what would what makes us act like we do sometimes. And <laughs> uh, so I, I think. I think that uh, may be of interest, but right now, you know, I'm, I'm, it's, you know, been two months since I launched it. So, um, or we launched it. And so we're really trying to focus on, uh, you know, getting the local story out there, having it grow sort of organically, having that, you know, it, it, the, the word of mouth, you know, happen. And then, you know, then the numbers will get big enough so that we are looking at it, um, you know, Potentially, you know, might get more national attention and and global attention. But, you know, like like anything, you know, it's 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 really hard to go uh, unless you go with it with a major publisher, you know, which I did not. um, It's really hard to to get that um, marketing push. Yeah. Attention. It's just such a crowded market. It really, really is. So, I mean, I I tried uh, some really cool uh, things that did work. Uh, not necessarily through social media. You know, I just, um, I don't, I find social media kind of draining (laughs) personally. And um, so I just have, (laughs) I have have to keep a a box around that. like, I have to have it, uh, you know, just very certain times of day and I'm not, you know, checking it all the time. And so, you know, I just usually just go in in the early mornings and I have things maybe throughout the week that I plan to post. I'm, I'm trying to do like, little snippets of like, if you go to my Instagram page, which is uh, a poster girls book uh, you'll see that the tiles are kind of um, alternating between a picture and then a, a, like a, a quote a passage from the book um, that is of interest. So trying to, to glean interest that way, you know, there's my website. Um, so I'm checking those boxes, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily is, um, you know getting the the sales uh it, it's hard for me i don't i don't want to pay attention to all the the sales numbers in terms because it could be very uh disheartening. yeah, yeah. And exactly exactly yeah. Yeah.
0: so uh so, have you so, been yeah. doing book readings on library visits then yeah
2: yes yes i i, I really and i and those, you know you kind of have as a as a new uh, published author you kind of have to pay attention to what feeds you and what drains you and those kind of discussions, like you know, talking to actual readers or potential readers, that you know energizes me. Like I love that part of it. And there's and talking to you guys, I, I really do love um, talking about the book and, uh, and and reaching you know potential readers this way and just talking about my process. <clears throat> and and then the the social media is is a little bit of a drain. So yes, yeah. said something about.
1: Uh, uh, publishes. So, uh, your book was published traditionally, or uh, did you go for self publishing or hybrid? No, I did a hybrid.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, so, I, a hybrid. I really wanted to keep with, um, I wanted to keep more of the creative uh, liberties or a, creative yeah. licensing. Uh, I, I really am proud of the cover of my book. You see, it's all on my wall, oh, you know, yeah. here behind me. Uh, but I might and I wanted to pick the title. So that was really important to me. And then this, you know, watercolor that is the the poster or the or the cover of the book, that is a local artist here. So oh, okay. I kind of became really stubborn about my own hometown. And I was like, you know, Charlotte does have a lot. And do I really need to go to New York? and and find an agent or a publisher or what have you. Um, Could I do it here? Mm -hmm. And so I explored, you know, did research on those resources and uh, I was becoming very good at research by that point. And so I found them, you know, I found the local artist that I wanted to do this watercolor. And that's a local uh, model that she used, you know, to pose for it. Uh, And that part, and then I used a local publisher. Um, So the hybrid publisher that I chose, is based here in, in Charlotte. And I, I learned how to write fiction with a local nonprofit here. That's who did the author's lab that I did. Uh, and I was born here. So there was a lot of I thought the the backstory behind that was also interesting, you know, that that someone can can do that. But I did not want to go self-publishing um the self-publishing route. I guess I could have, um, but I thought this fit that narrative a little better. And plus it at least took some. It's, there's so much to learn at every single step when you write and publish a novel, and I really um, was trying to minimize the, the the not knowing part, and so that was that was helpful. But I got to pick the title. I got to pick the cover. Um, I get I got a lot more control over that, and it got published faster as well than it would have with traditional route.
0: Mm-hmm. How did the editing process work? Like how many drafts did you have to go through before you finalized on like you know, this is a, draft, a, novel, a lot of of
2: drafts, yeah, a lot, yes, uh, that's a great question. Yeah, I, I had no idea how much work the editing process was until I began my own journey with that. So, uh, you know, once you type, I think I, so I, I that class that I took, the, the author's lab class, that was all of 2019. And then I probably had it, I don't know, maybe two-thirds or three-fourths of the way complete or written. Um, like I did the NanoRimo, the November Novel Writing Month. I did that. Um, so I wrote a lot in that November of 2019. But I still hadn't typed, you know, like the end on the first manuscript or the first draft. And so I used, um, I kept the same writing coach that I had established even after that class ended in, in 2020. Or at the beginning of 2020, and uh, who was who was a wonderful uh, wonderful coach, and I used COVID to to finish it. You know, so the world changed you know overnight, and I was like, well, I'm going to make something good happen out of this craziness, and so uh, that really got me motivated to to finish the manuscript. And then once I was done with that, um, you know, I submitted it to this publisher, and I got a contract within. Three weeks so that was helpful so and so your publisher
1: did uh, <laughs> arrange for a professional editor oh yes yes several and, several, yeah. and oh, that's good and uh
2: when did this title come come in you while writing
1: or uh,
2: mm. while you were rewriting no in fact the title really stressed me out for a while um i had a lot of really bad titles um oh uh, what was it? Some of them were like out of her shell and, you know, bomb something like they were just horrible titles. I mean, there, there was no, we didn't, they didn't build bombs. I don't know why bombshells. Or, I mean, it's just horrible, horrible titles. Awful. And, and then at one point I had, you know, two pages of potential titles and I thought, you know, none of these are working, but maybe they could. If I looked at it a different way. So that was kind of fun to do that. And I think that's, there's a power in that in any decision that we make. Uh, so I took each individual word that were on those two pages and I wrote it down on an index card. So, uh, and so I separated all the words out and then I um, went into my guest bedroom and I put them all over the floor. And so I could see all the words, like, you see, know, and they kind of, you know, some of them floated up like, oh, you should explore this word a little bit more. So I picked that card up and I put every other word with it. And that's how I came up with Poster girls. So,
0: so,
1: so very interesting. So do you have a close um, um, circle of friends who read and uh, give you feedback at which phase of your uh, journey? Did you give them your manuscript to read? And uh, did you touch your manuscript after they give their feedback? Uh, So can you share with us that process of your
0: journey? Yes.
2: Yes. Uh, I mean, beta readers are so important. I had uh, two rounds of beta readers um, and some were very dear friends who, who participated in both rounds, which was very kind of them. That was a lot of time that they gave uh, to me. And I am very appreciative of that. But I think, um, like the first time I, I printed something out, which was, you know, well before I got the, the, actually, I think both were before I got the publisher. Um, and the one was just printed on, you know, eight and a half by 11 sheet paper, you know, so it was, it was reading it that way. <clears throat> and then I figured out how to to print out proof copies, uh, which was helpful. And so uh, it was in more of a kind of a book format, and it had one of those horrible titles on it, you know. And and um, but it was great because they could write notes, you know, in, in the margins. They could give you know general feedback, specific feedback. If I had written a word wrong, they could give that kind of feedback. But it was it was really wonderful for character uh, feedback. They would say, you know, I really I really love this character, but I can't see them saying that you know, so, you know, might think about changing that. I don't think that they would say that at that time. You know, again, I was still getting that oh. that, that that anchoring it into that time, or at least what people's perception of that time was. Um, some, you know, a lot of people really got into the history part of it too. They would look up certain things and facts and go, oh, is that really true? And oh my gosh, it was. And uh, so that helped. Um, and then uh, I had a sensitivity reader, which was, who is probably the, the most uh important so that was you know I, I would never put something out there before having somebody that you know especially with the with the African american <laughs> lens uh to have that was very important to me so and everything every piece of feedback everything she told me to change i was like yep changing that changing that changing that check it <laughs>
0: yeah, that's good mm-hmm. Uh so uh have you made an ebook or an audiobook of the book yet or do you have plans of doing
2: that? I do have plans to do it. Um it is uh it is still a to-do left though. Uh so now it's out on hard copy, soft copy, and kindle. You can read it or the ebook is out there <laughs> on Amazon. But uh the audiobook is that's a, a kind of a morphing industry too. So you know you can you can pick just one channel to go with, or you can pick a, a, a provider that would go into all channels. Right. And so you really, you don't want to limit yourself. And I've actually seen some, uh, I don't know, I want to say lawsuits, but I've definitely seen some, you know, talk about, <laughs> cause I'm not, I'm not, I'm like, I've seen one article on so I'm not to set that stage. Um, but that it's really hard to tell sometimes with these subscription based services, it's really hard to tell. How much you're making from someone listening to your book, and so I want I want to let some of that dust settle before I really you know dive into okay this is this is the right time to to make an audiobook. So it does seem to be a little bit uh, shifting.
1: Uh, our-, our book was uh, published, printed. Uh, how was it to hold the first copy of your book, and uh, after I mean after these months, um, have you had any? Um, readers who are not known not known to you, uh, but uh, through the book you came to know the reader, and uh, can you share with us that uh, kind of a, an experience in the library or anywhere? Um,
2: yes, so definitely holding the book, you know, for the first time was amazing. I was so mm-hmm. in awe of it. It felt like everything everybody tells you it feels like, uh, and it was. Um, it was surreal it was a, it was a proud moment. I was happy that my kids you know could see it you know because this was a pretty daunting task you know for their mom to undertake and and I saw it pushed it across the finish line. So that was um, you know one thing that I wanted to show them they're all in college and so you know finishing something is important. I was trying to get that message across to them and I think I did. that was fun. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, right? yeah. Love it. Um, so, um, so that was uh, that was the fun part, and then um, yes, well, yes. And, and reviews are very important, right? So, um, you know, Sri asked about um, the social media. social social media, or whatever. Well, part of social media would be you know the Amazon yes. reviews, the Good, yes. Goodreads reviews, things like that. Um, you know, the sites like uh, even BookBub, which I haven't gotten into, but you know, there's a lot of options that are out there um, and in this review process. So most of the reviews that you get initially, and I think this is really with anybody, right, uh, are going to be people, you know, and then start coming from people you don't know. And that's has been really fun to see. And they, they've all been very good. Um, there were a couple of maybe twos or threes I got on Goodreads from people I didn't know. And that's fine. You know, I mean, I, I, I want an honest, you know, review. I just, I need to get the review numbers up, um, because I think that puts you maybe in a different category in Amazon. So that is an example of playing that, that online social media game. Um, but as far as being in a room with people who've never read it, that is, uh, or, or that don't know me that have read it and loved it. That has started to happen. So I've been going to these book club and book discussions and presentations that I'm doing and people are coming with their, you know, their, 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 their well-loved copies, you know, of the book and they're asking me to sign them and they are talking about how much they loved it and how much they uh, appreciated it. And that felt good as anyone would expect it to, but it felt even better than I had anticipated. So. mm mm-hmm.
0: So uh, I just have one question, and after that, we can go to the next segment of this uh, episode. So my last question is that uh, you know every author has like a like a style, like they they have this uh, you know process that they follow while writing. Like you said, you have, as a whole, the book was first, the book first started with the character interview, but then with regards to each chapter what comes to your mind first you do you first think of like an event that you want to you know circle the chapter around or do you have like an ending first and then you write you know you you start from the end and you just write uh, the chapter from that or do you is there like a particular like like this flash of a line comes in your mind and you just put that line and then write it around it
2: yeah i think um And again, because I'm such a fan of movies, I think that is how that influenced my writing. So each time, so I saw every chapter as a scene and, and I would, you know, I would start kind of like above and moving down into almost (laughs) like the camera is moving down. Yeah. Zooming in and describing the room and describing the weather and describing, you know, the, the tension in the room or what have you. Um, and then oh, it's the, ready. It's ready for screen. <laughs> I think it would be easy to push to a screenplay because then that's when the dialogue starts. <clears throat> so um, I have a lot of dialogue in in my book, and uh, and that's just because that's how I, you know, communicate and how people uh, communicate their feelings,
0: <laughs> and know,
2: uh, you know, just a, a great way. I thought to know what's happening. I did learn. In within my creative writing class, the difference between showing and telling, you know. So if I just give a big old long paragraph dump of information about what is going on, then you know the the author starts to show through, and it's like the reader is like, no, I want I want the characters to t- to show me that that's happening, and not you know have the author tell me that in you know in paragraph form. So um, I, I really. Uh, recognize the difference or learn the difference between those two things, and try to play those out as much as possible. So, yeah, so it'd be you know coming into a scene, you know, dialogue between characters, and then sort of ending with what the characters learned. Uh, and I would try to. My, my son told me something, he's like all all of your endings are, of your chapters are so dramatic, and I said that's because it's. For the next, you know, learning the next lesson that they're going to be learning, so yeah, so I think now it's time for the next segment, which is World of
0: W's. World of W's is nothing but like a set of W questions like what, when, where, okay. and if a listener was not able to sit through the entire session or they didn't have the time for that, they could just crawl down here and listen to the gist of it, right? Okay. So, yeah, uh, what uh, is your next novel
2: and what is it about? Sure. It, um, so I, I have not started writing it yet, but I'm in the sort of initial research stages. Um, it is going to be about uh, Tombstone, Arizona. So in the 1920s, 1930s uh, here in the States, and my husband's family, extended family, uh, was very involved with that town. They, they lived there. So they um, it was his great uh, aunt and she married a man who bought half the town. And there was another man who bought the, this is, so this, you know, Tombstone, Arizona, which Tombstone is, is, was a movie in the nineties with Val Kilmer. So very, very manly town, very um, uh, vibrant town because of the silver mines. And then when the silver mines dried up, it was, became a dying town that you see all, you know, the the old West kind of towns that are um, that were had their heyday in the past. and, And now are trying to revitalize the town. And that's what these two men were trying to do when they bought up a lot of the real estate. And but then those two men died, and then the town ended up being owned by the two widows. So a very manly town ends up being owned 100 percent by two women. And uh, so I wanted to explore that. And and they're still trying to revitalize the town. And I don't think a lot of them probably like the fact that it's owned by two women. Uh, but how that all uh, plays out. And there's a very famous uh, my husband's. Um, uh, relative owned the Birdcage Theater. And that's a very famous uh, theater. And uh, I think it was even a broth stairs. So I, I would like to kind of explore those um, topics as well.
0: I am interested. When does that you?
2: Oh, I have no idea. I, I don't have a contract on it yet. No, no, just uh, I'm exploring it uh, as part of, you know the extension of that, of my writing process, yes.
0: Why only historical fiction? Do you do you not want to branch out with other you know, genres of fiction?
2: Or are you too comfortable with historical fiction that you want to stick with it? I just love it too much to leave it. I don't know. I, I I really, really like it. Although I I would like, just as you said, I think at the start of the of the podcast, you know, I would like to branch into braiding a present-day narrative with a past to kind of show that I, I do, I do like that part of it. Um, and whether those sets of characters are related, you know, and are are, are joined via uh, maybe the same location or the same family, age. you know, or, or yes. two different. Yeah, exactly. Whether they're the same age at, at the time that the action's going on. Um, I just find that very interesting. And I find yes. um, of, of what we can learn from yeah. the past is just too powerful to leave. So I, I don't have any interest yeah. in leaving.
0: Beautiful,
2: so oh, lovely.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I am thinking
1: only about the, the town she was talking about. That's what I'm, that's why I'm not. You're stuck,
0: to, you're uh, stuck with that. So how different has uh, uh, writing for your job been from, you know, writing
2: fiction? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, definitely have to, to, it's a different skill set. Um, and I, you know, I'm pretty good at, at at shifting gears and, and, and multitasking. So I I don't have an issue, you know, going back to that. I mean, if, if anything, it's made me maybe a better business writer because, you know, I'm maybe using, it's taught me how to use more impactful words and maybe fewer words and, um, and, and with the, you know the the short attention span that everyone's getting online you know if anything that i am saying you know i want to focus on the audience right and writing helps you do that uh but business writing does as well uh so creative writing so focus on the audience and then try to get your message out um the most succinct way possible so so it's helped
0: yeah and Like, like you said, um, because usually historical fiction takes a lot of research and it takes a lot of, you know, planning. Have Mm -hmm. you been planning your writing schedule too? Like, did you have like a particular time uh, in a day when you sit and write no matter what happened or or
2: did you just make it? No. Um, so I would write a lot on the weekends, like usually like all day on, on a Saturday, Um, and then I would write two hours every morning, uh, before I would log in. Um, so, you know, working from, from home. Uh, and so what I would, my routine would be, you know, I'd wake up, um, and I would start writing and then, you know, and then log in to my day and not, not touch it for another 24 hours. And usually I would, the start of each day was going back and reading what I had written the previous day and, than usually like hating it (laughs) because uh, like you're writing it and you think oh this is great this is wonderful and then you read it the next day and you're like this is awful this is how did I ever think this is good Uh, so I did a lot of that and so I go back I fix it I would so it was sort of like taking you know two steps forward one step back and and just keep going that way so it was It wasn't like real time editing, but it definitely real time um, story development. And a lot of times, you're just you're just trying to get words down. You're trying to get your word count up, and it doesn't. You know, if you if you're trying to focus on writing the very best thing every single time, the first time, you're never going to finish. You know, your novel. It is you absolutely have to. You have to just push through and even write you know, bad stuff, and then you go back and fix it. But the story has to advance. So
1: you mentioned about uh, your kids in college. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh,
1: so how did they receive the book? Did they read? <laughs> how, how do they help you in encouraging your uh,
2: authorship? Um, they did. You know, I mean, they're, they're pretty uh, involved in their own worlds as well. So <laughs> I didn't anticipate them i'm the <laughs> encourager for them not the other way around but they but they, they i think they, they liked it you know they told their friends about it that kind of thing um but yeah they, this is just something else that mom is doing that uh you know maybe maybe she'll finish maybe she won't but, <laughs> they didn't uh, read didn't, didn't, they, they have read, read it yes they have read it and um, what was their uh uh, uh uh feedback so so one so i have triplets right so they're the same age So one of them was one of my early beta readers and he gave me some really good feedback, but he's more of a writer himself. And then uh, my daughter read it after it was published. And Mm -hmm. the one thing, Oh my gosh, She put the quote in there. So I had this quote that was written on our, you know, family kind of um, organization bulletin board. And I never took that quote off because it was my favorite quote. And I was like, if they remember anything I want, I want it to be this. So it was up there for like four years. And she's like, I can't believe you put the quote in there. I'm like, because it's one of the best life quotes ever. And I, you know, if I'm not going to be here forever. You need to remember that. And uh, I think, the, well, the quote is, um, you know, sometimes courage doesn't always roar. Sometimes it's just the quiet voice or quiet whisper at the end of the day saying, I will try again tomorrow. So yeah. Um, so yeah,
0: it's nice.
2: but but yeah. there was a lot of eye rolling if that, that quote was in there. So. <laughs> <laughs> trying to jam it down our throats.
0: <laughs> well, you can uh, you can tell uh, uh, you know aspiring authors who are listening out there if you have any you know tips or advice for them, and you can you can tell us how you felt about this
2: entire session. Yeah, I mean the best advice I've been able to give um, aspiring writers who are trying to you know they've they've had the idea, they've started the novel, it's just getting it across the finish line and typing the end is, you know, just push through it. Uh, It's all a big puzzle. I love puzzles. So I love really, Mm -hmm. I love difficult puzzles. I love to, Mm -hmm. you know, take time doing the puzzles. I become obsessed with them. Um, This was very much like a puzzle. And there were certain pieces that you just, they're just too hard. You can't find them. They're you know, they're the same color as everything else, just so an allegory to the, pu- the puzzles themselves. And so you just set those pieces aside and just don't, you know, and then, and then find every other piece around it. And then that, you know, where that piece fits becomes more evident the more you push through with the other, uh, other pieces yes, of it. So, um, so, so don't take, yeah. So no don't me, take no writer's me. block or uh, what they call writer's block or, you know the, the difficulty of pushing through as as the end game it really it can be done you just have to keep you know even if you just write really bad dialogue it's okay they, they can say silly things you know just but that scene is there and then you can write beyond that and then come back to that
0: uh, how did you feel about the session with us and how how was this
2: entire experience for you oh i loved it yeah you guys are great this is wonderful yes i really enjoyed it and so appreciate the opportunity so i love the way that you um you both come at it with uh different angles you know and 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 different experiences and that uh that comes through in my in my novel is is you know we all have different strengths uh, and so if, if we were exactly the same, then then one plus one would equal two. But if we have different strengths, then one plus one equals more than two. So I, I really saw that come through in, in both <laughs> of your styles mm-hmm. and how you kind of, you know, play off each other, but also, uh, you know, you, you, you recognize each other's strengths and, uh, and, and, and respect them and, uh, and it becomes a better show as a result. So lovely. Thank you.
0: We hope this show brought you a little bit closer to your love of literature. Thank you.